0: We're continuing our series in Luke, and we're finishing off chapter 22, and we have this sort of heartbreaking story of Peter's denial of Christ. He's been following for three years, and it was his Lord, his master, his friend, and at the moment of pressure, he completely crumbled. And then we're looking at Jesus' faithfulness, how he withstood even greater pressure, but was true to his mission that God had for him. And we're kind of using Peter, if you like, as an example for ourselves this morning and then seeing how Christ's faithfulness is actually the hope for us in the midst of our own failure. Because like Peter, we often deny Christ. We often fail him. And I think there's a lot we can learn from this story. I was, when I was thinking of this passage, I remembered a story about a, a Chinese evangelist in the years that the communists took over and began to put people in prison because of being Christians. And this particular evangelist called Wang Mingdao, I don't know if I've said his name right, but he was a well-known evangelist, very popular, very powerful speaker, and they threw him in prison because he refused to be part of the state church. And after a short while, he basically signed a confession saying he was sorry he'd been wrong to speak out against the state church and that he would be a good member from now on and wouldn't preach anymore. And so they let him out. But this led him to feeling, he described it in these terms, I've been a Peter because I've denied my Lord. And eventually he repented and began preaching again, so they threw him in prison again. And he stayed there for at least 17 years before sort of external pressure meant that he was released. So he kind of concluded the whole thing and said, many times I've been a Peter but never a Judas. So I think even if a a well-known, powerful speaker can get it wrong and crumble in the way Peter did, There's hope for all of us, because we've all denied Jesus in little ways in our lives and fail him many times. So there is hope, and I think as we look through Peter's experience and Jesus' faithfulness, we'll see that. So let's start with Peter. And as we look at Peter, we're facing our own failure, our own lack of faith. So we read a few verses before, a couple of weeks ago, this declaration from Peter. Lord. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. No doubt he meant it, but just a few short hours later he was completely denying it. So what led to that denial? Will we read this? After they'd seized Jesus and taken him to the high priest's house, it says Peter followed at a distance. And I think that's significant for us. Often I think we follow Jesus at a distance. Peter was not ready to be there with Jesus in the thick of it. He was going to follow at a safe distance where he was out of the light and could just see what was happening, but he wasn't going to get in any trouble himself. He didn't want to be challenged at that point. He was not ready, and he was unwilling. It was too costly at that point to stand by Jesus. And I feel like it's a challenge for me because many times I think, yes, I follow Jesus. I come to church on Sunday. I even go to community group." and I'm even one of the leaders, and yet I can so easily follow Jesus at a distance. I don't want to get where it's really costly. I don't want to get where I'm really challenged about my faith. I want to follow at a comfortable, safe distance where I can still say, yes, I'm a Christian, but don't challenge me too much. Don't make it too costly. If you like, I play it safe in my walk with God. So I follow Jesus, yes, but I follow at a distance where I'm not too challenged. And then we read that because the night was cold, somebody started a fire and Peter standing out there in the cold thought, well, I'm going to sneak in and just warm myself up. He needed the fire. So he sat down among them. Presumably the them is the servants of the high priest who was there at his house and perhaps also some of the crowd that had come out to arrest Jesus. And so Peter kind of slips in and hopes nobody would notice. So in aspect, he was compromising and sitting with the people who'd just been out to arrest Jesus. And I see this in myself as well. I like to fit in to my surroundings, whether it's church on a Sunday or out with the lads on a Friday. I want to fit in. I don't want to be the weird, odd one out. I think of my kids when when we'd first come back from Spain, Spanish was their first language, if you like. They played in Spanish, they'd been to school in Spanish, they talk to us in Spanish and, you know, played back and forth. But the minute we got to England and we started picking them up in the, at school, the last thing they wanted was for us to speak to them in Spanish. And if we tried, they'd be like, well, no, we're in England, speak English. Because they didn't want to feel different. And as a missionary kid, I've been through that many times. You're always trying to fit in. Because we want to be accepted. And so in our walk with God, we kind of follow him on the one hand, but we try and make sure we fit in with everybody else on the other hand. And whether that's work, entering into the way people think. And it's not that I'm saying we shouldn't be acceptable to other people. And I think it's more a case of how we fit in to what the world tells us is the way we should think. What the world tells us, this is how we should act. We become just like everybody else because we don't want to stand out. We're not ready to be confronted about our faith. And I can remember even, even as a, a boy, you know, being a missionary kid, you were supposed to be good. And people challenging me, well, if you're a Christian and your dad's the missionary, how come you're doing this? And I won't say what this is because there were many is, but that was the challenge. You know, you say one thing, but you're just like us in this thing. And there's a sort of disconnect. And Peter was at that moment, he was a follower of Christ. I'm a disciple. I'll go with you to prison, but right now I'm going to slink in and sit by the fire. And I think we're like that. We like the warmth of the world, if you like. Because we don't want to be too weird and too, too dramatic and too radical for Christ. So we compromise. We're a bit like chameleons. We fit our surroundings. And then it sort of comes to the moment of, of the crunch time. This powerful, strong Roman soldier confronts Peter. No, it's actually a servant girl. This, the lowest of the low, has no power over Peter confronts her, looks closely at him, sees him in the firelight and challenges him, says, weren't you with him? And he says, no chance me, I don't know him. And the crunch point came and, and he failed. Now let's give Peter some credit. At least he was there. All the other disciples had run and hid. That's where I would have been. I would have done a runner with them, not been like Peter. He was kind of bold, I can do this, I can manage. I can, I can still follow Jesus even at this time. But when the real pressure came, when this small girl looked at him and said, You were one of them, says I didn't I don't know Jesus. And I, I wonder if the crunch point comes in our life and we similarly fail, whether it's the crunch point of our own sin, our own failings, whether it's the pressure from the world, from work, whether it's family, things going wrong in relationships there. When that crunch point comes, how do we react? Do we stand up and take a stand for Jesus or do we take a step back and say, well, actually, in this area, I'm not sure Jesus is really relevant. I don't know him in this sense. I find myself doing that very often. And perhaps not, you know, unlike Peter, I've never gone out and said, well, I'm not a Christian, but I've never had someone threaten me with, you know, death if I confess that, so I can't judge him at all. But in many other ways, I do deny him. I come here, I confess Jesus is Lord, but many times I live as if he wasn't Lord. I live as if I was Lord. I don't, if the world puts me under scrutiny, as this servant girl puts Peter under scrutiny, and look closely at him, would she find evidence, or would the world find evidence, that I am truly following Christ, that he is my Lord? Or is it just a Sunday, Wednesday kind of commitment? And so the pressure ramps up. It's not just the servant girl, but two more people come. And again, confront Peter. You're one of them. No, I'm not. You must be. You're a Galilean. We can tell. You know, Natasha gets this all the time when she goes shopping or answers the door. Oh, you're not from around here. And she'd rather be mistaken for a Canadian at the moment. But (laughs) all the same, she can't help it. And Peter was the same. He couldn't help it. The minute he opened his mouth, they all knew you're one of those northerners because it was that obvious. So in one sense, he was readily identifiable by what he said. But in another sense, they couldn't tell any difference about him, because he was sitting by the fire with them, denying Jesus, not standing with Christ, being beaten. Peter failed the big test. And you can understand it. He was confused. This was not supposed to be happening. Jesus was the Messiah. He was afraid. He was doubting what on earth is going on. He was just saying this is, his world was being turned upside down and it's no surprise perhaps that he denied Jesus at that point. But how about us in our own struggles, in those moments where the world is turned upside down for us through suffering, through sickness, through loss of loved ones, friends, family dynamics going all the wrong way. Our life is turned upside down. At that point, do we take a step back or do we continue faithful to him? Because all of us, I'm sure, have made the same commitment Peter did. Jesus, I'm in it for the long term. I'll go with you wherever, no, no matter what. We've all made those kind of promises. At least I have. Or when we've failed, we've sinned. Lord, I'll never do that again. And Monday morning, there we are again saying, Lord, I did it again. We've all been there and we probably all will continue to be there like Peter, failing Christ. But this is, the for me, the most powerful part, is that as he was saying these words in the cock crow, just as Jesus had foretold earlier in the chapter, Jesus looks right at Peter. And if you think for a minute the cost to Jesus of that look, we read in the next couple of verses that he was probably still at that point in the process of being beaten and all the rest of it. Peter denies him while all this is going on. And so Jesus, knowing what has happened, knowing, hearing the cock crows, manages somehow to look across at Peter. And I believe he didn't look with condemnation. He didn't look with a, I told you so, you loser. He looked with love. And this is the amazing thing that Jesus, in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our faithlessness, looks at us with love. That's why we can invite him in to our chaos, to our mess, because he always looks at us with love. The scarred, the beaten, the bruised face of Jesus looks at us with love. And that's what broke Peter's heart. He realized what he'd done. I've denied Jesus three times. And it says he ran out and wept bitterly. But I think that was also the point that Peter was truly ready to serve Christ. You know, here's Peter who's at the forefront of everything. He is the one who had the amazing revelation of Christ, that you are the Christ in chapter 9. He was one of the ones taking up the Mount of Transfiguration, one of Jesus' in-group, if you like, one of the chosen three and probably feeling like he was actually the the most closest to Jesus. You know, he's the one who said, it doesn't matter if everyone else runs away, I'm going to stick with you. And at this moment of utter failure, he is now a broken man, And he's ready to be used by God. And Jesus looks at him because he begins right there and then the process of restoration that he would complete. In John 21, we read Jesus made breakfast for them and then he had a chat with Peter. And how many times did he say, do you love me? Three times, one for every denial, I think. I've still got a job for you, Peter. Do you love me? And Peter, a broken man, was now ready to be that rock on which the early church began to grow. And I think we've all been there. We've all been broken. At least if we've been honest with God, we are. I can remember feeling a little bit broken after being a missionary in Spain for 11 years and kind of seeing not much fruit. Maybe I can think of two people I know of personally that became Christians through our ministry and are still walking with the Lord. Many other people kind of may have made some kind of commitment at some point, but I don't know where they are now. And feeling that I was going nowhere. I was in a dry place spiritually, a dry place in ministry. I couldn't seem to get beyond the next step. And just feeling like I had, you know, not done the job I'd been sent to. And that sense of failure, if you like, that sense of fruitlessness. And I'm not quite sure if I'm over it, to be honest, because every time I talk about Spain I start getting emotional. So I'll stop now. But Jesus looks at me, not with condemnation, but with love in the midst of that. He'd prophesied this to Peter. When you, when you turn, strengthen your brothers. I've still got a job for you because I love you. And that's what Jesus says to all of us in our failure, our faithfulness, our struggles. Don't throw the towel in. I've got a job for you because I love you. And we see that Peter's faithlessness, his failure, is only matched and was surpassed by Jesus' faithfulness. And it's that faithfulness that is actually our hope for restoration and for being used by him. So let's look at how Jesus is faithful. And we see that at daybreak it says, The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. It's Jesus' faithfulness in his humanity that gives us our hope. Jesus was tested, I think, here on a couple of levels. First, on being human. If you remember last week, Roger shared how in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus experienced that as a fully human person. He was not kind of going into Superman mode or son of God mode, where he didn't feel the blows. He didn't have an inner shield. You know, my boys play and they shoot each other, and I've got 500 health points, and you've only got 20. Jesus didn't have that. He was fully human, and he felt every blow. And when he was blindfolded, he didn't know where they were coming from. And if you can imagine, the temptation for him at that point was to quit. He'd been through the emotional struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, but now he was entering into the physical reality of being handed over and crucified. And we can't imagine the physical, the emotional, the psychological pain and torment he went through, being beaten, being mocked, being ridiculed, because he wanted to save the very people who were beating him. So the temptation to quit at that point, I think, must have been tremendous. With just one word, he could have ended it all. If anyone could have done the kind of Darth Vader thing at that point, he could have, just... Started throwing the guards out. But he didn't. He allowed himself, the Son of God, the most powerful human on earth, to be beaten and just treated in this way. And what it tells me is that we have, as it says in Hebrews 4, a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. He's been there. He's been. He's not just says he was tempted without sin. Well, it wasn't temptation just to do the wrong thing that we so often face. It was also temptation to give up. Temptation to say, you know what? This lot is not worth it. I'm out of here. Back to heaven. Jesus faced that temptation and no, no more than at this point when he was being beaten unjustly and going through this physical pain. We have a high priest who's been there. He's felt the emotional pain. He's felt the stress and yet, he didn't quit. So when we're going through those struggles, those, that point of saying, you know what, I give up, Jesus can sympathize. And he says, come to the throne, not of judgment, not of pick yourself up and get on with it, but the throne of grace to help us and give us what we need in time of need. That is where we can get our strength to go through all the challenges we face because he's been there. He's been fully tested on that level as a human being. Any emotional, physical pain we've been through, he knows what it is to want to give up. But he was also faithful at a deeper level of his divinity. He had a mission as the son of God to come and redeem the world. And he was completely faithful to that mission too. And we see this in his exchange with the high priests and the Sanhedrin. The other Gospels tell us they brought false witnesses because they were trying to find some way of convicting him. These were men of the law, after all. They wanted to get him on the law. But they couldn't find anything. So in the end, they say, well, let's talk to Jesus himself. We know he thinks he's the Christ. If we can get him to admit it, done deal. We can crucify him. So they say, if you are the Messiah, tell us. Verse 67. Not because they wanted to believe it, but because they wanted to condemn him. And so he knows this. He says, if I tell you, you won't believe. And if I ask you, you won't answer. Jesus knew this was not a question of them wanting to believe in him. This was a question of them wanting to condemn him. And they had no intention at all of of following him. But for those of us who have been reading through Luke's gospel, we know Jesus is the Christ. It's not a doubt. We see that at his birth. It's prophesied by Zechariah, by Um, in the the temple where he says, this is the Christ. We see it when the demons come out of people. They confess Jesus is the Christ. We see it, as I've said before, in chapter 9, Peter says, Lord, you are the Christ. We know he is, and the high priests and the leaders also knew that's what Jesus was claiming. In chapter 20, they go through a long discussion with him, never quite admitting it but knowing what Jesus claimed and that's why he says if I ask you you won't answer because he'd asked them several questions in chapter 20 that if they'd been willing to answer truthfully would have said this man standing in front of us is the Christ they asked him by whose authority are you doing this and he said well I'll tell you if you tell me by whose authority John was preaching the same answer to that question was the answer to their question but they didn't want to go there They knew John was from God. They didn't want to admit he was. He says, what about the stone that the builders reject and God makes the cornerstone? And they didn't want to answer that because they knew they were rejecting that stone that God was making the cornerstone. And they were saying, you're not the son of David. So he says, well, how can he be the son of David if David calls him Lord? And they knew that if they answered that truthfully, they would see that Jesus is the Christ. So it was never a question of, faith and not believing him. It was always a question of their will. They were not willing to accept him as the Christ. And we see that around us. You know, when we share our faith with other people, often it's not a question of, I don't have faith. It's a question of willingness. People are not willing to give their life to God because that will demand something from them. And that's why many people steer clear of Jesus. But I think it's also true of us sitting here Many times it's a question of willingness in our own life to make Jesus not just our Savior but our Lord. How many places do we kind of have a debate with Jesus like the rulers instead of just simply saying, yes, you're Lord, I'll obey and get on with it. I'm very good at those kind of debates. Well, Lord, maybe you didn't quite mean this in this case and that case. So I get away with my little shenanigans. But Jesus is Lord. He's Messiah. He's Christ. He's Christ. And if I really am willing, I will surrender. So often it's a question of my unwillingness, not faith. And that was the same here. Now what Jesus then does is he shows us that he is in control and that he knows he must die because he could have shut up then. They didn't really get a conclusive answer from that. But instead, he tells something that will get them really worked up. And it's the passage, it says this, but from now on, The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And Trish had that read out at the beginning. Or you read it out, Daniel 7. These were students of the Old Testament. They knew very well what Jesus was saying by that. They knew he was claiming to be somebody special. He was claiming to be that one like a Son of Man, coming on the clouds, given a kingdom without end and all authority and seated at the right hand of God the ancient of days. There was no doubt in their minds what Jesus was saying there. He made sure of that. So they all ask, not just one, but it says they all ask, so are you saying you're the son of God? That's what you're claiming? Not because they wanted to follow him, but because finally they had it from his own lips, we can condemn this man because he's claiming to be the son of God. And Jesus says, yep, you're right, that's who I am. No more need for false witnesses. We've got him by his own lips. Case closed. Jesus was not condemned for his miracles. He wasn't condemned for his teaching. He was condemned for who he claimed to be in that point, as he knew he'd be. He was faithful as the Son of God in his identity and his mission to redeem the world. He knew he had to die, and so he was faithful to confess that because he knew that's what would be the result. So we see, here in this passage, Jesus' faithfulness. As a human, suffering the pain, the struggles, and as Son of God, completing his mission. And that maybe leaves us then with a question, where are we at this morning? Are we like Peter, perhaps, following from afar? Are we sitting in with the world, blending in, hoping no one notices? Are we even denying him when the crunch point comes? Say, oh no, no, not me. Or if not in word, through our life, through how we treat one another, through our lack of love for one another, through our family dynamics, do we truly proclaim Christ as Messiah in every area? Perhaps we're feeling broken. Perhaps we're feeling that failure that Peter was. Perhaps we're just wanting to throw the towel in. I've been there that Jesus looks at us with love at that point. We have a high priest who's able to sympathize, able to help. We come to a throne of grace. And because God doesn't want us wallowing in our failure, I'm very good at that, you know, wallowing in my sin, my failure. But Jesus says, no, I want to use you and restore you. <clears throat> and we can see this. We see what Peter wrote in his last chapter of 1 of First Peter 5. He tells the the Christians in the letter, he writes, you know what, you better humble yourselves because God has a way of doing it for you if you don't. Peter, that proud disciple, was a broken man after denying Christ. But he says, you know, God will lift you up if you humble yourself. Cast on him all your struggles. He cares for you. But be careful, there is an enemy trying to sift you, a as Satan wanted to sift Peter. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. But resist him. You know everywhere people are going through crunch points. People are struggling for their faith. People are going through difficult circumstances. And he closes, he says this to end. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We have the God of all grace. And he's got this eternal destiny for us. That's what he's calling us to. But there is that suffering of the little while. And few it may seem like it's going on for a long while. But God will himself restore you. Don't throw the towel in. He's there with you. He looks in your situation with love invite him in because he will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast that's certainly what I pray and ask God to do in my life Amen so let's pray Lord we see in Peter so much of ourselves saying one thing and doing another failing you when challenged Lord ready to give up But we thank you, Jesus, that your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy, your love is there. And, Lord, we want to see your face in the midst of our failure. So often we're too busy. We cover up our failure our mistakes by just getting on with things. So we ask you to look into our failure with us and enable us to see your love and to restore us. We thank you for this promise that you will restore us so we come to you we come to your throne of grace and Lord we just praise you for your faithfulness in this utmost of trials and thank you that it's the hope for us in the midst of our struggles so we commit ourselves to you God that you would restore us make us strong make us firm steadfast. In Jesus' name. Amen.